Our scripture this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3. And I can almost guarantee you the very first verse that I read, many people are going to shut down right there. Because there's a little word in there that says submit. And we don't like that word. Guys don't like it. Girls don't like it. And in this context, we believe we don't like it. But listen to what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and following. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Then he goes on in verse 22, talks about slaves obeying your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and in reverence for the Lord. Then he says this in verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So we're talking about families. Uh, in fact, there's a, actually the title of it is Prescription for a Healthy Family. And it seems like in the world in which we live today, there's a lot of unhealthiness in our families all across our society and our towns. And maybe you know of people that are in that situation. After creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve. And the first thing the Heavenly Father said to these first children was this. He said, don't, or do not. Don't what, Adam asked. Don't eat of the forbidden fruit, God said. Adam goes, forbidden fruit? We have forbidden fruit? Hey, Eve, we have forbidden fruit. Nah, she says, yeah, we have forbidden fruit. Do not eat the fruit, God said. Why? They asked God, and God simply said, I said so. And that's all that needed to be said. God replied a few minutes later, God saw his children having an apple break, and God was ticked. God said, did I not tell you not to eat the fruit? And God, as our first parent asked, uh-huh, that's what he said. Adam replied to God, and God, God replied to Adam, then why did you eat it, said the father. And then Adam looks at Eve and said, she started it. She started it. And Eve said, did not. Adam said, did too. And they went back and forth bickering. And finally, at that point, God had enough. And God said, here's the punishment. Adam and Eve, he decreed that they should have children of their own. And this pattern has gone forever and ever and ever. You know, your parents said one time, one day you will have children. And I'm going to put a curse on those children to be exactly like you. And you've heard it before. You see, there are people who believe that their family is a punishment from God. Or that they're being punished actually in their family right now because of what's going on. The husband doesn't love, the wife doesn't submit, the children don't obey, and the parents are harsh and sometimes even difficult to be around. Now, I don't know if families with problems like these are actually being punished by God, but such families are unhealthy. In fact, there's kind of a disease that's going through our families today. They're sick, and their sickness has a name. It's called sin. It's because we don't listen to God's word. We don't listen to what God has for us. But there is a cure, and God has a prescription that you can take to heal the broken home. And that cure is found in Colossians that we read where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Then it says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You see, as with any illness that we have in life, when a doctor prescribes a medication, you need to take it the way the doctor ordered it. And that's what we're saying about God's prescription here. We need to take it as God ordered it. Now, I don't know how it is with you, but when I get medicines at the pharmacy, I don't read that little paper that usually comes with it, that when you unfold it, it goes a half a mile down the road. And a lot of this little print on it, do you know we're supposed to read that? Be honest, how many do? Really? You all want to know what that's really going to do to you. You know, I'm one of these, doctor ordered it, I'm going to take it, you know, take the medicine, just swallow it, we're good. You know, I don't want to know, it's going to make my left foot go right and all that kinds of stuff, you know. But it says also, when you get that medicine, to what? Take it all. Take it till it's done. But how many of us get antibiotics because we're not feeling good and it's a seven-day antibiotic and after day three, we feel pretty good. You know, we're good. And we stop taking it because we feel good. What happens two or three days later? Bam, it's back because we didn't finish the prescription. And I'm bad at that at times too. But now God gives us instructions on how to have a perfect, healthy home. And he says, wives submit, husbands love, kids obey, dads don't be too rough. And there are people who figure, if that's the medicine that I have to take, I mean, if that's all I really have to do is swallow it, and I'm going to have a happy, healthy home, and a lot of times they're not that far off. I mean, if so many times the families would just go to God's Word and listen to what He says and how to do it, and just take it, that would get us so much farther down the right road when we truly understand. But there are other times when people use this prescription in a way that wasn't intended. And the result is a damaged relationship. It's rebellious families. And we're seeing it all through society and even in our churches today. So how could you possibly misuse this prescription for creating, unhealth or for creating healthy homes? And it's simply by this. It's by not understanding the instructions that came along with the medicine. By not reading the rest of what Colossians has to say about your relationship with God. And this is where it all ties in. We're talking about Jesus as Lord. Lord of our life. Lord of everything we have. And you see, Paul's theme up to this point has been Jesus is Lord. But what does that mean for us today as a family? It means he made everything. Everything is really his. He has given it to us to use for a time. He owns everything. And more importantly, he owns you. He owns us. I mean, he created us, right? And when we were baptized and we gave our lives to Christ, we gave him control of who we are, of our hearts, of everything we have. And so now we're being told even that Jesus owns our families. He owns our relationships. And sometimes we don't allow him to do all that he needs to do. Again, when you declare that Jesus was your Lord, you were turning the keys over to him in every aspect of your life. 
I mean, not even your possessions, not your future, not your spouse, not your kids actually belong to us. They belong to God. One of the neat things that I watched through the uh, wicked Holland and CIY was these kids coming in that first day, kind of flighty, kind of doing what they wanted to do. And by the end of the week, they were point on what that speaker was saying. And they're making decisions for who Christ is in their life. In fact, they had their railroad signal, and they could go up and they could push that button and pull that lever saying that they were going to change tracks and get on the track God wanted for them to. And it was so fun watching, standing back, watching them come up here, and literally a lot of them simply just melting when they pulled that lever, making that decision. And they were saying at that point in time, God now owns me. That my life is all God's. So take a good look at your family, your extended family, and understand this. They really don't belong to you anymore. Now, I'm not saying God's saying you don't get to enjoy them, you don't get to have them around, but they're God's. They're God's possessions. You gave them to Jesus when you're saved. They belong to him. That's what it means when we say Jesus is Lord of all. We're saying that Jesus owns us and everything we have. But now since your husband or wife, children, parents, everything belongs to Jesus. But catch this. And you are responsible to him for how you treat them. He lets us have them. They're around us. And you're not responsible to somebody else on this earth. You're not responsible to me. You're responsible to God for how we treat our family, how we treat each other. Colossians 3 is a description of how Jesus expects you to treat what belongs to him. You see, it's not a description of how the people in your family are to treat you. Did you catch that? What Paul is saying here, it is not a description of how the people in your family are to treat you. You see, if you don't allow this prescription the way Jesus expects you to, suspect you to, you will hurt yourself and you will hurt your family. If we don't follow these instructions, if we don't follow this prescription, all you're going to do is hurt yourself and hurt your family and hurt those around you. Verse 17 says this, whatever you do, I mean, catch that. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, the Father through him and the place to start doing this in the name of Jesus is with our families with those closest to us so let's sort this out what is Paul telling us Paul is telling us that we are to be ministers to those in our families now I'm not going to take this in the order that Paul puts them in and I'm not changing it I just want to change it around a little bit because I can I'm the preacher okay I can do that but we're going to cover it all Verses 1 through 3. Verse 20 actually says, children, this is your first point. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. How cool would that be? I mean, really, if our kids obeyed us as parents in everything, no questions asked. That'd almost be too much to ask for, wouldn't it? I mean, come on. Never questioned? Never asked but why? In everything, he says. 
In fact, Paul goes a little further when he writes in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy long life on the earth. This becomes a particular issue for kids. And we see it more and more, and I keep saying that. Then, especially when they get into their teens. When Mark Twain says, when they get to be a teenager, you should put them in a barrel, knock a hole in it, leave them there till they're 18. You know, and there's times we want to do that. And teenagers get to this awkward stage, this awkward age, where they think that all of a sudden when they turn 13 and they get to that 14, that this magical fairy comes and goes, ding, you now know everything. And what this does is it creates a power struggle within the family. This teenager who thinks they know everything because this magical fairy now tries to tell mom and dad what is and what is not, what is going to happen, what's not going to happen. And it causes all kinds of trouble. Oftentimes, the kids would just assume their parents allow them to run their own lives their own way. And the sad thing is a lot of parents do that. They seem to think this magical number appears and all of a sudden they can kind of do what they want to do, go where they want to go. And it comes back to bite us in the butt so many times. You see it over and over again. So here's what I want to say. However, teenagers, there is a biblical authority structure for the family. And let me let you in on a secret. And you can tell your kids this if you want to. I know that I'm not sitting here. Catch this. You are not at the top of that authority structure. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't go kids, parents. It's parent, God, parents, kids, right? So they're not at the top of that structure. This struggle between parents and teenagers can be so intense that it can be a source of frustration for both sides. David Berry, uh, kind of a comedian, joked this way. He said, teenage boys already know everything. This is where I got the fairy thing. When a boy reaches 13 years of age, the knowledge fairy comes around and inserts into his brain all the information in the entire universe. From that point on, he no longer needs any parental guidance. All he needs is parental money. There's a the truth there, isn't it? Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me where to go. Don't tell me to hang out with but Give me the money, and everything will be good. But of course, that's not really the problem. The problem is you are getting old enough to be entrusted with responsibility. And these are the teenagers are frustrated with. They're getting older. They want responsibilities, but they don't quite understand that with the responsibility comes trust. The more responsibility, the more trust, the more you get. But you misuse that trust and you misuse that responsibility, the less that there is. And kids have a hard time grabbing onto that. And I will even say there's adults that have a hard time getting a hold of that. But you are not old enough or considered old enough to make all the decisions that you'd like to make. So there's that power struggle. That's why God says, obey. And he says, there's a promise with that. That's only with a promise. If you obey your parents, then you will have a good life. And life on earth is going to be great. And that's for both sides. I think a lot of it, too, is it's so hard to let go. These kids have a hard time letting go. It's hard to let your parents be your parents because at times you think you know better than they do. And at times, parents, at times they do. And you've got to give them that. 
There are times they know what's better for themselves. And give them those parameters. Give them those guides. And let them stay within those parameters. Let them bounce off the wall a little bit. That's okay. Let them hit that wall just a little bit harder. That's okay. Because it might knock a little more sense into them when they hit it enough times to know that wall is not the way to go. So that's okay. Let them do that. Let anybody ask your parents and they'll tell them that they're the smartest kids they know. I've got the smartest kids that, that's on this earth. And you hear that a lot. And then you see it on Facebook. Why do my kid keep doing this and this and going down this road? But you just said a few weeks ago, you got the smartest kid on earth. Why does that do? Because kids are kids. Kids are going to do stupid things. But can I tell you something? <laughs> we do too. Let's be honest. We as parents, we as adults, don't always get it right. So why do we expect our kids to be perfect? To the kids. And tell them this. They are smart. Yes, sometimes smarter than our parents. But when you forget who's supposed to be in charge, you find yourself in conflict with your parents, and it is so frustrating because they will win. Okay? The parents have the final say, and that's the way it needs to be. They control the parental money. They control the parental permission of where they go and where they can be with and where you can't. They control the parental car keys, and it can be frustrating. You see... Into this difficult relationship, Jesus gives us this ministry, gives us this opportunity. You see, he calls us as parents to minister to your parents as kids by letting them be right, even when they're wrong. Why? Because your being right isn't what Jesus is worried about as far as the kids are concerned. Jesus says, whenever you honor your parents... Whenever you obey your parents, you're showing them what it is to be a Christian. And you are making it easier for them to swallow their pride when they are wrong. And I'm going to tell that to parents too. When you're wrong, admit it to the kids. Show them you're wrong and it's okay that you're going to work through this. It makes it easier for them to trust you with more decisions when we give them that decisions as kids. But now God understands how hard it is to do this. And so he gives that added incentive where he says, you're going to enjoy life on earth so much more. In fact, God says, I promise you will enjoy life so much more. So number one, children obey your parents. Now we come to an even more difficult command than kids obeying their parents. Number two, wives what? Submit. Submit to your husbands. There was a minister who once had a wedding rehearsal for a young couple and then those wedding vows that he used, he always included the passages like from Ephesians or Colossians, and then includes the word submit. During the rehearsal, one of the friends of the bride literally jumped in out of her pew and cried out, you don't have to do that. Times have changed, and you don't have to submit to anybody. And fortunately, the bride graciously turned and replied, but this is what we want in our vows. It's okay. When you understand what this truly means, Wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Right? Don't you want to know why? Becky's back here smirking. I love it. Here's why. That's your spiritual service. That's a God-given service he's given you. 
Now, you're going to like what I'm going to say, so trust me. Hang on. It's going to be good. You see, it's, your, it's a spiritual service. Your objective is to create a spiritual leader in your husband. You teach your husband to be a spiritual leader by training him to lead, and you can only do that by letting him make mistakes. Did you catch that? You're training him. Doesn't that change it just a little bit? I mean, you're training him? Not like a dog to obey. I know that's where you were going with that, wasn't it? You're like, yeah, I'm in, baby. Get that shot collar out, and we're going to train them what to do and not to do. <laughs> dog treats. That works. So let me ask this. Wives, except for my wife. Did your husbands make mistakes? <laughs> Not any. Good point. Okay, did he make mistakes? Oh, yeah. That was the answer we wanted. And we do. We do. We do it every day. But understand what he's saying about this submission. You do it by refusing to take the reins of leadership away from him and refusing to make him the leader and the decision maker. Now, again, I'm not saying that they get to make all the decisions and you just give it to them. It means you work together. But somebody has to have the ultimate decision, right? Somebody has to be able to say, yes, this is what we need to do, or no, we need to go a different direction. And that's where the rub comes in. You see, God's ultimate goal for your husband is for him to be a spiritual leader and for you to assist God in training your husband by displaying proper submission. A submission that simply honors and respects your husband so that he gains the confidence enough to assert godly leadership outside of the home as well. But, you might say. I know there's always a but in it, isn't there? We always say, but. He doesn't deserve for me to be submissive to him. He doesn't deserve it, right? That's true. It doesn't change what God is saying. It doesn't say, well, if he doesn't deserve it, that's okay. You go do your own thing. He's still saying, no, you still respect. You still do this. Reminds me of a story of a women's meeting. And this lady was speaking, and they was getting the crowd all riled up. And she asked the audience how many of them wanted to mother their husbands. One woman in the back row. It was probably Pam sitting in this back row. Raised her hand. And she said, now let me get this straight. You say you want to mother your husband? The speaker asked, mother? The woman echoed, I thought you said smother your husbands. <laughs> now, that's probably more true than the other one, right? Man, there's times. You see, it's hard to submit to a husband that doesn't deserve to be submitted to. But here's the secret. Nobody, nobody deserves to be in a position of being submitted to except Jesus Christ in our lives. And when we do that, and willing to do that, in other words, allow him to be Jesus and Lord of our life, then we can do it for other people. Husbands, wives, kids, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only person who has ever deserved submission is Jesus Christ. So if a husband never deserves to be submitted to, why should you? You know, it's kind of that trickle-down effect. If wives won't submit to their husbands, why should kids submit to mom and dad? Because they don't see that example. And here's another reason why we should do it. Because Jesus asked you to. He asked you to. 
Because this is your spiritual service. This is a part of your ministry within the family. So children, obey your parents. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now for another hard command. Number three, husbands, love your wives. And he says, and fathers, do not embitter your children. But notice what Jesus is not saying. I like this. This is what Jesus is not saying. Jesus isn't telling you to run your wife and your kids. He's not giving you permission to run them. In other words, you're not allowed to say, okay, wife, today you're going to do this, 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 and this. If you don't get this done, I'm going to come back and we're going to have words. Okay? He doesn't give you permission to run them. He doesn't give you permission to forcefully assert your position as head of the house. Why? Because according to Paul, that's how the pagans did it. That's how the world does it. That's how sinners do it. That's a wicked exercise of authority in our families today. And that's not the kind of people we are. We're not pagans. We're not the sinners. We are who? We are God's children. We are God's family, and we do it differently. So he doesn't give us permission to do this. So how should the head of the house exert his authority? Matthew 20, 25 through 28 gives us a good description. Actually, he's talking about the church and rulers. But he says, Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, he says. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must also be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, husbands. Yes, fathers. You were called by God to be the head of your households. But you didn't earn that position. You don't own that position. It was given to you by God. It's a God-given position. And in addition to that, again, when you were buried in the waters of Christian baptism, you surrendered that authority to Jesus. And now you exercise that leadership in the family as Christ's agent. So get this. And God will hold you accountable for how you treat those under your care. Wow. Again, we're accountable to God. That's a pretty good accountability partner. In 1 Peter, for example, we're told that God won't listen to our prayers if we mistreat our wives. So husbands, love your wives. Fathers, don't embitter your children because in doing so, you are modeling Christ for your kid, wife and your kids. So let me close this way. This is a story that was in a book called It Was On Fire When I Lay Down On It by Robert Fulgram. It says this. This guy's talking about his daughter. He said, it was Molly's, age seven, her job to pack lunches for her family. She would put in the sandwiches, the cookies, the fruit, so on and so forth into a paper bag. And one day, in addition to the paper bag she usually packed for her father, she gave him a second bag enclosed with duct tape, staples, and paper clips. Okay, just picture that for just a second. The dad, in a hurry that morning to get to work, didn't have time to ask what was inside, quickly thanked her, gave her a kiss, and took both bags with him to work. At lunchtime, as he was eating his lunch, he remembered his daughter's gift and brought it out. Since it proved too difficult to open any other way, he tore it open on the side and out spilled these objects. Two hair ribbons, three small stones, one plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, two animal crackers, a marble, a used lipstick, a small doll, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. Okay? Unsure of what all this meant as a gift, he smiled to himself and thought, how quaint. Then he realized how late the hour was. He hurriedly swept his desk clean, including the gifts, 
and put it in the trash can. He did this, he noted later, because there was nothing in there that he needed. Okay? That night, as he sat in his easy chair, his daughter approached him and asked, Where's my bag? Your bag, he said uneasily. Yes, my bag of treasures I gave you this morning. I thought you might like to play with them. Oh, that bag, he said. Well, it's still at the office. She says, I want it back. Those things are very important to me. Of course, honey, I'll get it for you tomorrow. Oh, and Daddy, there's something I forgot to put in your bag. And she handed him a note. And folding the paper, he read, Daddy, I love you. Slipping out of his chair, he drove hurriedly back to his office and frantically checked his wastebasket and found to his relief that it had not been emptied yet. Quickly, he dumped the contents onto his desk and sorted through them for the treasures. Just then, the janitor came in and asked, Did you lose something? Yes, he replied. I think I've lost my mind. In that moment, and then that next day at home, he asked his daughter to explain the meaning of the items in the bag and patiently listened as she explained each in detail how they each meant something special to her, a special event or something he had given to her. You see, at that moment, the daughter was a minister to her father, not just in the lunch that she made, but in the love that she gave. You see, sometimes we take that which is truly important. We just kind of throw it off to the side, and we kind of maybe even throw it in trash. You see, God asks us to do certain things. Wives submit, husbands love, kids obey. Because that's our God-given service to God. That's who God asks us to be. But you see, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen successfully until we allow Jesus to be Lord of our life. Till we turn all this over to God and say, God, it's yours. 100% it's yours. And God says, great, cool. I love having it. But here, you take care of it. It's yours for now, here. But remember, it's still mine and you're accountable to me. So what are we going to do with it? I know a lot of us, our kids are older, they're grown, they're moved out of the house. Some of them, some of you don't, they're still at home and you're still going through this process of this teenage stuff and all this. And the only thing I can tell you and encourage you is simply give it to God. Give it to God. Let them win sometimes. Let them think they win sometimes. But admit at times when we're wrong, when we made a mistake and show them it's okay. And I guarantee you that'll go a lot longer and a lot farther if we allow that.